I'm Josh Swartz. And I'm William Millingworth. Hosts of the High Tech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. I am so excited to be here with you all this beautiful Friday morning, wherever in the world you may be, whether you're here in the U.S., maybe you may be overseas. If it's evening for you, thank you so much for making time out of your day to be here with us. And as always, my friends, from the bottom of my heart, I truly and sincerely mean this every time I let you guys know is Thank you. Thank you so much for making my EdTech life what it is today. I really appreciate all of your support. Thank you so much for sharing our episodes, for sharing our clips, for even just going to our merch store and supporting our mission and our vision for connecting educators, education professionals, and creators one show at a time. And today I am really excited because uh, as we're getting ready to start a new school year, you know, we're always looking to see what we can do better each and every day to start, uh, you know, the school year. 1% better maybe each year, whatever the case is. Today, we're going to have a great, great conversation. Today, I have Ian Siegel, who's going to be joining us, and we're going to be talking about uh, student learning. And he has an amazing story as to how student learns, and he has an amazing perspective. He has a book out too as well. And when I got to meet with him a couple of days ago and talk to him, I was like, we definitely need to share this story because, you know, we would definitely uh, get a lot of gems from here that we can sprinkle onto what we are already doing great. So thank you guys so much for joining us live. If you are joining us on all our platforms, let us know where you're joining us from. We'll be uh, happy to take any questions and comments too as well. But let's go ahead and get the show started. Ian, how are you this morning? Fawn's doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the program. I appreciate it. Excellent. Ian, I, I am really excited. Like I just mentioned to you right now, when we took that call, what was it? Was it yesterday or the day before? I can't even remember my days. Two days blur. ago. I Two swear. days ago. Yeah. But yeah. it was just amazing. And in just those like 10, 15 minutes, I was like, yes, like I this is going to be a great conversation because you have an amazing story, an amazing and amazing experience, and you're really taking that to a whole other level. So before we get into that superhero origin story, which is one <laughs> of my favorite segments here in our show that we do, um, can you just give us a brief introduction and your context in education? Sure. Um, I'm the CEO of Streamline Learning. Uh, we it's a we are a tutoring group based out of Baltimore and DC, and we're spreading across the nation. Uh, we do remote tutoring, and I um, am an author of the Tutor Bible: Learning to Learn Again. My number one mission is to unlock the brilliant learner in every student, uh, which is part of my baseline philosophy about how I see education. Oh, that is wonderful. And see, and I love that, even just the title and just your mission, like you said, you know, unlocking the learner within. And that's something that is very important. And it really speaks and resonates with me because that's something that I've always, my goal was always to to do that with uh, with my learning community, my students that I have there. So I'm really excited about what you have to share today. So let's go ahead and dive in. And uh, like this first segment is one that I just love. So that way our audience members can get to know our guests a little bit more and make those connections. And, uh, you know, it's that superhero origin story. Everybody that's here that gets invited to Maya Tech Live I always love to hear their stories. So I just want to ask, Ian, was education something that you always wanted to do? Or was it something that you kind of actually just maybe might have fallen into and then just your love of education grew from there? So tell us a little bit about how all this started. Uh, Fonz, thanks so much. Um, I would say it was really exciting to hear a little bit about your background story before we started and you know how you brought in elements of sales into the way you thought about education, the way that you kind of thought about your classroom and engaging with students and really selling them on learning something. It's, it's an act of persuasion. And I think I had a kind of similar origin story in the sense that before I kind of fell into what I'll explain in a moment, I thought I was going, going to be a writer. 
And I, I do think that that's an act of persuasion. You know, that's that's really kind of where I'm coming from is I really enjoy the idea of persuading someone, is, is especially for their own good, to help them really kind of like take advantage of, of their own potential. And that's like the end goal of the persuasion. So that really kind of spoke to me once I landed in it. Um, but that that's that's definitely something I I wasn't anticipating. I wasn't thinking, you know, tutoring. That would be a profession, you know. I was I was going to be a writer, a novelist, um, but and I think that's still in, in in store. And obviously, I did write the Tudor Bible, so um, playing into that a little bit. There you go. That's excellent. So, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And like you said, those two worlds did, you know, kind of reconcile in, in the persuasion and in the sales and things of that sort. And, you know, one of the things that I, I learned and from a previous guest too, is that oftentimes uh, teachers that may not go through the traditional, you know, college of ed and, and then come into education, we definitely bring in like a different perspective and a different light. And I guess because of the marketing background, it's more like quickly think on your feet. And like, that's why I always mention it's like improvise, adapt and overcome. Like that's what we got to do in sales. We got to make sure we, we get that ready to go. And then here with writing, I think writing is so powerful because of the power of words to be able to understand something or take something that's difficult and make it, you know, in a way that is easy to understand. And, you know, you're persuading through that. That's something that's great. And of course, we're going to be talking about your book that you wrote, but I want to learn a little bit more about that tutoring process and the way that you kind of started honing in your skills. And then you said, wait a minute, like, this is something that I never thought of before or something that was just like, wow, that light bulb moment. And now let me take it up to that next level. So I know you shared a story with me when we were on the call about two days ago. So if you can share a little bit about that, that would be Absolutely. phenomenal. Absolutely. I'm happy to. So imagine, put yourself in um, kind of Silicon Valley around the time of Steve, Steve Jobs' death. That's when I graduated from Vanderbilt and I had found myself there in Palo Alto um, joining an education consulting firm. Uh, which is a fancy term for just a very high-end tutoring company that works for largely with a bunch of students of you know tech tech investors, early early investors in Facebook, all that. So a very kind of intense situation that I found. Um, in that, I think in that atmosphere, I felt that a lot of parents kind of wanted their child to be the next Steve Jobs, and. And, and because of that, parents were far more willing to experiment with tutoring as a potential way to really elevate their students into the next stratosphere in terms of their education. So my boss at the time really kind of took advantage of that idea and the fact that a lot of these parents went to, you know, Harvard Business School, Stanford Business School are very high achieving. And their students might have not have the same ambitions. So there was like a large gap between expectations. So it was kind of like, it was an interesting experience because it was both a situation where tutors could really like grow because I think there's nothing, you know, that can replace experience and development as a tutor. And um, at the same time, we saw incredible results with students, partly because Parents could pay for multiple hours per, you know, per week for, for students and all that. So it's a very unique window into a certain kind of education. But I, so I, I mean, in that process, I was, I would say your typical learner, which I would say is a bad learner um, in, in, in terms of my, um, my upbringing and I, and not, and no fault of teachers because I had incredible teachers throughout, you know, I was so lucky in high school and college, I had incredible teachers and professors. But I, I kind of felt like the system itself with school trapped me in this kind of cycle of self-judgment where like everything I was learning was really about like getting a grade, which was really about a source of affirmation. So like I was really using the world world as a source of affirmation, learn, like using it to like, like basically a source of like accepting me as opposed to like thinking of education as like, oh, I should be accepting the world. Like that's that's the point. Um, and so like in that context, I was like starting to feel more confident because I was like, wow, this modality really can get some crazy results. Kids like going from like the 33rd percentile of reading to like the 95th percentile over like eight months, like crazy results when you really can just 
feel exactly where a kid is and then like ask the right questions so that they arrive at some new understanding. And then the, the beauty of tutoring that's tough to do in school is this idea of integration where, where you really kind of at, put the kid on the spot and ask those critical questions to make sure that the mastery is universal and it's part of them as opposed to conscious recognition. Oh, where'd that go after the unit test? So it's like, it's like a lot of times in tutoring, I feel like we're making up for that. So I was getting excited, I, I, but I was also kind of self-focused. Like imagine me really liking persuading people. And I'm like, wow, I'm good at explaining things. But gradually I realized the more I explain and the better I explain, the less chance the kid has to like actually remember it because it has to be challenging in order to stick. I, and I was like thinking about that and how like so many students have straight A's because we're worried about, you know, putting them in a position where they don't have the right, you know, self-esteem. But at the same time, what I see is if I can really, you know, what I started to find out is if I can really kind of create a safe space for students, they can like get half of, you know, any set of problems that's wrong and be like, hey, that's all right. This is a real challenge, but we're in a vacuum. And so all these things are happening and I'm still thinking, ah, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a writer. But then one day I started, I started working with I get, this seven-year-old who I don't, you know, I guess is, is IQ is off the charts. So you, you people would call him, I guess, a genius. Um, and at the time, my boss is purporting me as like the best reading and writing tutor in California, um, billing me at a really high rate at the time highest higher than i had been built out before and um and i'm just you know you know just out of college thinking okay i guess i'm the best i'm like you know in this kind of deeper set of feeling of self-judgment i show up the um the dad you know explains like i'm a genius my two kids are geniuses i'm like okay sure that's probably damaging to say to your children and like you know kind of kind of defensively saying like yeah you're not that smart you know blah 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 but very quickly i realized it's more of that goodwill hunting situation where the, the, the student who i'll call chen here he would read like four to five pages in a minute i would test his comprehension it was like nothing he, he would he would know and and the thing that i noticed so really like just it was striking to me is that he looked up every word he didn't know. English is his second language. He was reading at a um, eighth or ninth grade level as a seven-year-old, and just kind of double his age, basically. Um, and he would systematically look look up those words. They would be integrated into how he saw the world moving forward because he kind of had that ability to do that. And I was like, oh, this is what learning is. It's like you you keep on adding frameworks by actively chasing your chasing the unknown. And if you do it earlier, like Chen did you become a genius because you're doing it at the same time. Neurons are like a million neuron connections are happening every second. So you're like, you're in a learning state and moving. And I was like, so this is happening. And then one day, the fact that I haven't been looking up vocab words my whole life and using context clues and using kind of like that as a source of self-judgment, it was like, oh, I'm already supposed to know this, that, that, that I end up um, teaching Chen the wrong definition of the word flank. One day we, we encounter flank and I am convinced because I watched Braveheart and I thought a flank attack meant, uh, you know, attack from behind, but it's really just a side attack. And I'm explaining to Chen, yeah, it's from behind. His dad walks by, thinks that flank does not mean from behind. Chen, it means from the side. Very quickly afterward, I lose kind of trust in relationship. You know, tutoring became more and more inconvenient for the family. And I know this is kind of like this crazy experience that like most teachers are like, why are you even talking about this? Because that kid needs no help. And this is, you know, you know, you're, you are, this is like this strange thing where they're paying a lot of money and all of this. And like, what's the point? But I think the point for me was just like, this was a lesson about what learning really is about. Chasing the unknown, recon recognizing that I wasn't really in a state to be learning at that time before that, but that that session itself, like helped me learn at a dr dramatic level in a way that is kind of hard in a classroom 
It's that one-on-one relationship, that bi-directional kind of exchange of knowledge, exchange of perspectives was like, there was this like diffusion that could happen. And for me, it was all like 90% me. Afterward, it became, you know, the flip when I really started to pay more attention to the students in front of me and less about me. And I feel like that is kind of the growth of a real learner is to first be self-aware and then to really be aware of the other and to learn from the other. And I, that's my whole philosophy is in that I think really works with tutoring. The fastest way to learn is find someone like Chen from across the world, completely different from you, and then learn to communicate with them and then see what happens. Yeah. I think tutoring I, is a really great example for, you know, of how to do that. And it transformed me, how I thought about learning. And I stopped being, you know, a piece of crap learner who was just kind of <laughs> looking for things that already like proved what I already knew. Yeah. And you know what, Ian, you hit on so many things that I kind of want to come back to and, and dive into sure. because of, of my personal experience too, as well, you know, because like you said, you yourself found out that now you were in a state of learning. And so Myself, like what really resonated also again, going from where I previously worked at to where I now am in charge of 30, you know, three, yeah, it was three uh, rotations of 30 high school students and not knowing, you know, like pedagogy and things of that sort, but just really having to learn. But the, the main thing was building that relationship, like you said, and understanding how everybody learns. And not everybody's going to learn the exact same way. So, I mean, being in that classroom really heightened my senses and really heightened my self-perspective and saying, like, wait a minute, like, I need to learn how to do this and I need to change things up for this rather than just say, nope, this is the way it's always going to be done. This is the way that I learned it. So this is the way you have to learn it. And then you are not allowing students to kind of experiment, to view, to learn. And most importantly, one thing that I love that you said is to learn from each other. So you yourself, being the tutor, ended up learning from Chen as well in the way that you were observing how he was um, looking up words and, you know, as he was reading because he just wanted to know that knowledge and make sure that everything is fine. And I think oftentimes because of the speed and so much that has to be covered in curriculum, many times in a classroom setting, we don't allow enough time for a student to properly use a dictionary. And the sad reality of this is, is that I, you know, in my years as an educator, I have never seen a teacher actually show how to use a dictionary to a student in a proper way or even use it while they are testing, it, it's usually the dictionaries just sit on the shelf for the whole year. And then when it comes to ta- uh, test time, the students that may need that additional support, they're like, oh, okay, you guys get dictionaries, but but I don't know how to use it. And they don't, they've never had that experience. So that right there, you know, being able to practice that, making those observations was something that was great that you said. Um, the other thing was that really resonates is, the, the whole thing with grades, you know, uh, I had a previous guest, David Franciosa, and we talked about going gradeless, which doesn't necessarily mean like, hey, we're not going to give grades, but it's less the con- the conversation is less about grades and more about the learning. And I think that that is something that is very helpful in the classroom setting. And I know my last four years really helped out where it's not like I'm just giving A's or, or the students are, or, you know, just preparing the kids for the test. But one thing that you mentioned was we want to prepare them with that learning that is not going to be good just for that three-hour moment at the end of the year when they take the test. But it's something that they can take with them, internalize it, and use it in a cross-curricular way year after year. So with this experience and what you just shared, I, I mean, you hit so many points that for me have been very near and dear in my practice and that I still continue to learn because again, you know, as technology evolves, I, we need to be those active learners such as you are, and then you discover new ways and new things. So now that you had that experience with Chen, you had that experience with his family, and then that kind of put you in a, whoa, like uh, maybe I'm not as, as good as I thought I was or doing things maybe the right way, but 
you know, that pushed you to continue to move forward and to learn. And then obviously you uh, went into writing this book. So tell me a little bit about how that evolved from that experience and the main takeaways that you said, okay, I've got something here that I need to share with the world. Absolutely. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, learning to, learning about learning requires an even an even greater level of openness than just learning at some level. So because, for example, for me, me enamored with my ability to explain things really well, helped me think that, oh, wow, I should really focus on this because this is what's really making a difference for students. Little did I know when I actually started to like, I, you know, have a less ego driven kind of approach to education, I started to realize that the thing that made me really special and effective as a tutor was something far more simpler, something that I got from my mom, which is just unconditional acceptance, unconditional love. It, I just like, I don't like, I, it, I guess I just exude it because when I work with students, I like, I'm like, there is no judgment. What are you doing? I, it's like all of that you're feeling is all you on, you know, toward yourself. I see incredible potential here. And, and, and I like, and I, if you, if I can just get you to accept yourself and not go like this worrying about like how you need to control something or escape something, then in, and just like be present life, you know, you're going to do great. And, and so I think like that, that's a major takeaway is helping students learn at their pace because people are, people spend so much cognitive time thinking about past and future, projecting themselves both ways. And, and I think it's harder to tell maybe in a classroom where you're kind of managing, I imagine manage like the entire class and you can kind of tell, oh, that kid's checked out or all, yeah. but even the ones who are like, you know, I'm finding the ones who are like the straight A, like attentive students, the one-on-one -on -one relationship and you put the, like, you know, the SAT in front of them, the ACT, things that I think, you know, in the, in an ideal world would be like, yeah, whatever, it's just some reading and math, no big deal. You got, we're like talking about these as like, oh, so unfair. It's like, I mean, if our education could change in the way, at, at the same pace as everything else, I don't, you know, I think unfair. We'd be looking down at the test saying like, hey, we should make it a little bit harder, geez, you know, kind of thing. Like that's how I'm experiencing from the, from a one-on-one -on -one situation because when students work with us, they're like, oh, I'm not going to judge myself so much because like I'm, a, I'm focusing on the right variables. Like, you know, I get, I get asked a hundred questions each session. This is kind of a critical thinking, you know, integration test, like mastery test. Right. And then they get worried about like, you know, like they judge themselves, but I'm like, how do you get asked a hundred questions, even with the best teachers over the course of even like a semester in a single class, like, and you, and the one, the questions where it's like, you like, you know where the kid's at and it's gonna push them forward, but it's like, that's tough to ask because that's gonna give it away for the other student or it's not gonna be enough. And it's just like, you're averaging out kind of like what, how you're talking to the class. And so I do find with tutoring it, you, you really get this crazy bend in performance for two groups of students in particular, which are um, students with learning differences and students who are like very, you know, bright and, and um, have like high abstract reasoning skills and all that because there's this you just you you just put push the accelerator in ways that like and I, again like i had some incredible teachers but i just felt like the structure is just like so stressful to be able to like do what you want to do with so many kids i find even with like a one-on-one -on -one situation i'm like i'm having trouble getting this kid to be present and it's like and i'm like you know in my 30s and I'm like imagining I'm in high school. I'm like, I can't imagine a better person to be present with. I'm like, this this person is like cares about me, is like, you know, completely invested in what am I thinking next? And they're like, anxiety here, distraction there. And I'm like, I wonder what's going on in school. Cause if this is happening here, you know, where where I'm like telling stories, asking all the right questions, and still, and and then to me, I started to realize, like, so then this is kind of like indirect insights of the tutor Bible is just that like learning just happens when the brain is in a learning state, which is not a survival state. And that's where it's kind of open to new mistakes 
you know, open to mistakes, open to new information because like new information is a stressor. You're not already ready for that new information. So you're like, whoa, what's this? Or a new framework of understanding and all that. But like, so if you're in like a nurturing learning environment state, you're like, oh, okay, this is that. Let's see if we can kind of look at it over here and kind of integrate it into our understanding. But if you're already in a stress state, which I find most kids are, it's like, is this gonna make me look stupid? Is this gonna keep me from going to college? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, 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 what is this? That's, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you, you put the SAT um, or ACT kind of behind it where it's like, whoa, you know, but you know, one-on-one, it's kind of like a therapy session and eventually mm-hmm. kids just get over that and figure and, out what and you know. Is. I love what you said there because obviously, you know, I think that's where classroom culture comes in. And I do realize, like you said, there is a lot of stress and seeing this year after year, you know, towards, and I always call it testing season from January all the way to the end of the year. I see students like their stress levels, they're frustrated because up until that point, they always keep being told, no, you can't do that. You don't know how to do this. And and you keep extra tutoring sessions. You're getting pulled out. You're doing one-on-ones. And, and it's the same thing, drill, drill, drill. But it seems like you never ask them like, hey, how are you doing? You know, hey, have you been? How are things going? Because you don't know what additional stressors they may come with because obviously not everybody's dealt the same cards. So at least in my experience, I've always taken that into account and always made an effort to say, okay, this is where we're at. And if I see a student that's kind of stressing out doing that, it's like, Hey, you know, let's just have a talk. Let's, you know, go for a walk, relax and everything. And, and just to kind of, you know, allow them to release some of that anxious energy, nervous energy, and then just come back and then we can go ahead and catch up. But, but in the end, we were learning together. And that's the great thing that at all different levels you had, of course, you had the high achieving kids, you had the middle of the pack kids, and then you had, uh, you know, the, the kids that, you know, were needing a little, little bit of additional support. But like you said, being in a like a no judgment zone, you know, creating that classroom environment, that psychological safety. And like you said, you're seeing it with one-on-one where they come in with these stress levels and oh, I can't answer this. Like immediately, I think the switch is, well, that's it. I'm, I'm going to fail the state exam or that's it. I'm not going to get my master's score. I'm not going to get my, you know, approaches score. And then what happens is they, they, they know in their mind that we've programmed them that they're a number or they're a color. And it's like, oh, great. Like I went from green to yellow. Now I went from yellow to red. And I don't know where this additional stress came from, why well, I kind of do know, but I, I think it's something that you said that puts them in survival mode. And that really hit me right now when you said that survival mode, they're trying to survive the year just survive to get ready for the state exam and then yeah. survive to go into the next year. And then if they don't do well, well, you know, you're going to have to come in for some additional tutoring during summer school, or, you know what, we're going to have to take an elective away so you can get these extra hours. And so then what are we doing to our kids? You know, they, they're just going to live in this survival mode all the way through high school. And then they're just going to be not feeling well when they maybe not do well on a entrance exam or things of that sort. So I, like you said, I love that idea that as teachers, we need to make sure that our students are in that learning state. They're being nurtured. Yeah. And like you said, it just becomes that session of how are you? How's everything going? Yeah. And let's just take this a little bit at a time, you know? So yeah, it just really blows my mind that, you know, that experience that you had with that one student really caused you caused a change in you to be able to seven, seven years old. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Just a, it's like, that's what I, I think about, you know, like learning can really, you can change as a learner more in a, you know, much faster in a one-on-one situation. I think about like, you know, think about the image of, you know, these fancy campuses where they're in like all these Ivy League schools and like all these massive investive investments in buildings and all this extracurricular stuff. And then you think of like, what about the swamp with Yoda? You know, like that's where Luke Skywalker learned. And, And I think like, and I really feel like that is where the transformation happens. You go all over, you go to these places and then you school ends up 
unfortunately, in a lot of places, being a place where you're proving what you already know, kind of showing off, it's like a theater kind of kind of situation. Unfortunately, Fonz, I want to recruit you to be a tutor because it sounds like you have, you know, I feel like you would really enjoy the exponential impact that your, you know, approach to education can have in that situation because it's like, I find that every investment that you put in turns into, you know, that output on the other end in a way that you don't always know in school because I think like the odds are stacked against teachers and because school every I think the institution is 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 absorbing cultural realities that are stressing people out and 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 I think what's tough that I see and and this is outside looking in is that each group when stressed parents teachers students stresses the other group out a little bit more because when the students are in like a non-learning state then the parents like you know because because they're stressed out for one reason or the other let's just say it's COVID the parents are looking over their shoulder and and everyone's in this survival state and what do you do in a survival state you react based on what you already know and and that is not learning and so each group you know, kind of really, I, I just feel like increasing stress closer to pointing fingers and, um, and, it, and, it's, and it's being pulled into our, you know, our politics mm -hmm. where school is becoming the battleground. And I don't think it's like, and that's what's so tough about school is it keeps on absorbing these other realities. It's like, it's not safe from these other realities, you know, and that's mm -hmm. what's so tough is because it like, because there's just so much yeah kind of like top down it's not an exchange of information where it's like hey i almost feel like i you know and chen is a good example that like we should be trying to learn from our students as much as our students are trying to learn from us oh, wow. and that because that balance also in, implies this baseline level of acknowledgement hey what you're bringing to the table is worth something you know like just like like and i think because that is an education system that is more maternal, you know, one where you're you're saying, "Hey, there's some space for you here," you know, yeah. and and I think there's 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 something about like tutoring that can like, come on, you're invited to the party, and and I feel like a lot of kids are feeling squeezed out, and their parents are worried about them being squeezed out, and the teachers are saying like, I, you know, I'm a great freaking teacher. And I don't know what's wrong with these kids or something like that, right? Or just like, mm -hmm. I'm stressed out because of, you know, and, and it's just tough because it, it, um, everyone's in a pretty defensive place, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, you know, and that kind of survival thing in the education world. And it's like, I think we just have to be more open and, and, you know, talk openly about like, hey, like maybe kids should all should have a tutor and maybe, or maybe we should be switching school to be like, you know, teachers switching to being tutors and then kids doing way more playtime, way more just project-based learning, way less sitting in the classroom next to their best friend without the ability to like learn from their best friend and instead like kind of learning an instruction manual. And then like, instead of like, hey, like, cause I think like with tutoring, you simulate the situation where you need a wrench and you see, let's see, does the student think wrench? And then do they know how to use the wrench, mm -hmm. right? And 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 it's tough because school. I my experience of it is like, here's your conjugations in Spanish. All right, versus like I get tutored in Spanish now, and I went from like learning Spanish my whole, you know, college, high school, yeah. college, pretty good fluency in like a year with tutoring. You know, kind of like because it's that interchange of knowledge, and there's a reason because I want to get closer to the person I'm talking to. I want to speak. I want to speak their language on every level, not just the literal one. Yeah. So I, I, you know, it's like I, I'm excited by the possibilities. I think we have to be like, hey, we just spent all this money on COVID. What if we like thought of like instead of like saying like, oh, I can blow up somebody by like putting putting more money into our military. How about it? How about investing in our kids so that they can blow your mind? Because I find that that can happen very consistently with, with like, you know, actually in giving them space. Yeah. Say, hey, you're, you're here. Yeah. There's and something I, brilliant about you. And I feel like kids are constantly struggling with this idea. Like, I know I'm special, but I, I have to kind of play by the rules here and, and, and be judged by them in the same exact way as everybody else.
And yeah. I, I don't think it helps. No, and, and I agree with you on on a lot of topics that you you hit on right there. As far as that uh, learning exchange, that community, the the building, you know, and and the, a lot of things that you're saying is really the way that I modeled my classroom. And there's a lot of great teachers that do that, and they're highly effective. Uh, but what happens here is like you're saying, like even now, like this, those students that are getting tutoring, it's more of just the drill and kill and an extension of what's already in the classroom. Rather yes. than like, hey, let's let's see if we can kind of get down to the root of what it is exactly that we're not understanding. Like, was it a foundational thing? Well, let's go back and it's OK to go back and build a student up. We need to build up our learning community. We need to build up our teachers. We need to build up that and the, open up those conversations. But the one thing that I love that you said is, you know, we need to listen to our students, you know, and I've had several guests here, ad administrators. I've had wonderful teachers here. And the common thing that I hear them say also is that I ask my students for feedback. And so that could be very scary for a teacher, you know, asking a student for feedback because, you know, you can think like, hey, I'm doing my job. I'm doing what I need to do. My students are doing great and so on. But is that your perception of it or is that like everybody's perception of it? And sometimes when you get that feedback, you realize like, yikes, you know, I, I need to work a little bit more on this and, and working on that so you can build up that learning community. And, and I think it's just that, uh, you know, one of my friends, Josh Tovar always says it's that connections before content. It's, it's so important yeah. to do that. And uh, so, Ian, I just want to ask you, I know we're talking about what is going on, well, a little bit about your book, but if you can, maybe just give us maybe just in your level of expertise, like maybe two tips that can help, you know, uh, either a tutor one-on-one -on -one when you're doing a session or something that a teacher can implement that you see would be something effective within their practice. The, uh, this first one is a is is a little bit complicated, but it's it's I call it naming. And what I what I mean by naming is is really kind of spending the time to listen to a st your students long enough to identify something that truly is unique and special about it about them, and then naming that. There's something that's so disarming about that acknowledgement that allows them to suddenly be in a state where they can learn. Because they're like, oh, you know me, or you you take it, you kind of, you know, like in a different way, not just like the, you know, hey, you're so good at, because, you know, I'm good at football because I care about football too. And just, just completely objective. This is special. Um, that's it. Um, I think that like taking the time to do that just does wonders for, if you just did it at the beginning of a school year, you know, with each of your students and just interview them or something like that, it, it would be worth the time, even if you, you know, give up like five classrooms to do it. Um, I So that would be number one. And then number two, um, learning happens when you pay attention to what you're not conscious of, which is very kind of ironic, right? It's like, it's, it's so people spend so much time worrying about what they're already conscious of. So it's in, in like really working on that and worrying within that framework. But the whole point is that we all have an Achilles heel, which is that we're not conscious of everything. So with that in mind, you have to know that the one-on-one -on -one relationship you're in, whichever it is, maybe romantic partner, maybe there's a tutor-student relationship, whatever, that the, the best person to help you learn is not you in terms of pointing out like the direction to go next. But the person you're with who's seeing you because you the only way you can see yourself is in a mirror and that's a static image you need a dynamic mirror which is the person that's, who's sitting across from you and and in that space they can they can they they can ask you the questions to help you realize what you were missing right not tell you directly because you're going to get defensive but ask you the question so that you can you can learn yourself and that giving someone the space to do that is 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 really what people need. That that was awesome. I, I love those two tips. And I mean, the first one. I mean, it's a no. Well, it should be. I, I mean, at least I think it should be a no brainer. But I, I, those are the ones. That's the main tip that really helped me. But this second one 
really hit in that sense that, you know, you really, on you may see yourself a certain way, like you said, but, you know, other people will see those things that you're missing. And I love that, that whether it's, a, you know, that tutor, um, or tutor student relationship to be able to ask those questions, have them think and have them reflect. And like you said, even within our friends and, and our circle of friends that we have, you know, that they can help you out by reflecting and thinking about what it is that you could be missing. Man, those are two great tips, Ian. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And Absolutely. we're getting we're getting ready to kind of wrap up our show, but this is my, one of my favorite segments here where we kind of just wind down the show and, uh, you know, a lot of people, they love this question. So Ian, I know we talked about this a little bit, just so you can kind of think about it two days ago, but in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? This, this answer, and I'm sorry for this, this is going to probably require another interview in the future <laughs> because we didn't talk about this at all. But it's, it's something that's two to three steps before what a lot of people are thinking about with education, which is neurotoxins. I think that, that my experience, personal experience, and also kind of what I understand from current medical literature is that our environment, especially indoor environment, is affecting us way more than we realize because our, our genetic you know, like the way we're designed is we don't really like pay attention to what's going on in our bodies until it starts to get to an alarm. But our, our bodies are constantly like changing, like the, like the expression of our genes are constantly changing based on, you know, this immediate surroundings that we're in, you know, the bacteria, the kind of, and a lot of people during COVID are coming back home, spending way more time indoors and talking about being so anxious and depressed and, and distracted. And I agree that like, you know, the loss of social, you know, like contact and all that plays a huge role in that. But my experience though, directly, and I had a very significant health experience around being living in a house with terrible levels of black mold, but it, it is the neurotoxic, I mean, it's a low grade situation that kind of pushes you into low grade fight or flight mode, which I think, you know, that's anxiety and, and, um, and ADHD. It's like kind of a, a, a modern version of fight and flight that is really playing a role in everyone who's involved in education, whether it's students or teachers, more than people might actually realize because indoor air is 8x more polluted than outdoor air. And it's just something we got to think about um, kind of kind of out there, but that's definitely what I feel. Yeah. All right. That's really good. Uh, definitely. I can see a little bit of that happening. And, and as I'm reflecting and as you were talking, I was like, a lot of that kind of makes sense. I mean, just getting outside outdoor play, getting some sun, some natural vitamin D and allowing students to just really go outside and release some of that energy, some of that anxious energy that they may have and things of that sort. You know, I, I can or, definitely or see even, that. Or even think about what we're as humans evolved to do. Like most of human, you know, history, we're in non-permanent structures, mm -hmm. moving around, kind of all that exploring new spaces. I think it had a lot to do with why we're such good learners, at least initially. And then looking, then we start to like settle down and like all there's all this stagnant mold and all this stuff that comes up. And then it's kind of like we kind of become stagnant as learners is basically my experience of it. Yeah, It's just I like the manifestation of the kind of what's happening. Yeah. Here in your house. It's wild. Yeah. yeah, it is wild. I like that. I like the, the, that's going to be a pretty, a pretty good soundbite right there. I love what you said there at last. All right. Ian, next question. Yep. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I, I'm not going to, I'm nothing new here. Just unconditionally accept yourself. It just allows you to focus on the other because otherwise you're just worried about whether you're surviving and you can't just, you know, reach, you know, look at, look outside of yourself and say, Hey, this is what's going on with someone else. Once you accept yourself, it allows the other acceptance, which then allows you to know both yourself and the other. And that's the key to learning really fast. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Ian. now let's say that the tables have turned 
and this was the Ian Siegel's Streamline Podcast, and I was your guest, what would be one question you'd like to ask me? I see. I already, I got, I got my good ones in early, but um, before before the podcast even began, um, Hans, I I noticed that you you speak Spanish also. Is that yes. is that right? How do you think like has being bilingual has that helped? Like, how do you think that's impacted the way you think about education or the way that you think about people? How you know you the way you engage with people or anything like that? Like, I was just curious if that's played into kind of like you know just being like thinking from both languages and how that played into how you think about education. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't learn English until I, got, I was in second grade and my experience, uh, I always share this, uh, you know, even during my doctoral studies, cause there were some classes where we talk about language and dual language and things of that sort. I must say that it was, a uh, for myself, remembering going back that far was very traumatic just because Spanish was my first language. Then I learned English. But the fact that when I realized, like, oh, my goodness, I'm bilingual, it, it, well, I didn't think about that at that time. But it was a little bit traumatic in the sense that being an only child and having parents that did not speak English at all whatsoever and to have to be a language broker at the age of seven and eight was very traumatic because you're in a place where people are speaking English and because my parents don't know the language. They just assume like, hey, you know it, you know, it. like, what are they telling you? What are they telling me? Or can you read these letters? And for me to read like a document and like, what if I'm not even saying the right thing? What if I, I'm saying something wrong? What if what I do causes, you know, some harm in a way like, you know, maybe they didn't pay the bill on time or something like that. If I go yeah. back to that, it's very traumatic to me. Uh, and then also the fact that, I remember what the assignment, I think, uh, for my second grade class was uh, read, you know, to your parents for 20 minutes. And so I would have to go home and read to my parents, but my parents don't know anything, but I could just always remember them. And I still have that picture in my mind where they would sit in front of me in the chair and I would be there reading to them and I would just look up. And they're just sitting there just looking at me. And and I always thought, like, what is it that they're thinking? Because they don't understand what I'm saying. And, you know, later on, I'm sure that I explained it to them in Spanish. But it, it was something that's interesting to me, to say the least, in that experience. But being able to have that bilingual superpower, at least in my demographic area, really helped out a lot in yeah. building that community. And especially when we had students that came in, not just spanish-speaking students but even students that would come in i had students that came in from israel i had students that came in from korea um you know japan and i could relate to them because they felt they didn't talk they were so closed off because they didn't understand the language but then going back to my experience i was like hey i know what you're going through and i was able to reach out to them i was able to make them feel comfortable make them feel safe and then I got to learn their language too as well because what I would do is I would go and figure out and and make take it upon myself to learn some of the basic phrases and then when I would come in the next day and you know be able to speak to them in their language and they saw that I tried they were just like all smiles mm. and yep. that changed you know and opened up and made that connection so yeah, wow. it definitely helped out a lot that understanding where students may be coming from and meeting them where they're at and building those relationships, which is really what we talked about today a lot, that through your experience oh, as well. <laughs> we so, should yeah. flip the interview, Fonz. That, that's an incredible, an incredible <laughs> story. And um, and it just reminds me of that movie, uh, Coda, um, you know, having, uh, being an, that girl who's an incredible singer, who's having deaf parents, and whose who parents can't recognize yeah. how beautiful this, I mean, it sounds like you're a great student. So, you know, it yeah. just, again, and kind of going back to that acknowledgement and, and instead the parent parents wanting, needing to survive based off of you instead mm -hmm. of like, like complete flip roles. So I, you know, I think it's incredible, an incredible story and um, very, very interesting. Thanks so much. Thank you. That.
Appreciate it, yeah. Ian. Well, thank that was a great question. But Ian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing. And I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be here with us this morning and really sharing your passion. I know I took a lot of gems. I'm going to go back and revisit this episode. And I found some clips that I definitely want to share that I could probably share with my learning community too as well, because there was definitely a lot of great value to that. So something that we can continue to sprinkle on to what we are already doing great to continue to get 1% better each day. So Ian, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the passion that you bring to education. Thank you so much for being an outside the box thinker, or really just thank you for being honest about what it is that you're seeing, because sometimes, uh, you know, honesty, we, 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 maybe tend not to listen to it a lot, but it's something refreshing that'll cause us to reflect and better our practice and see what we can do better for our students. Because in the end, I know that the ultimate goal or hopefully the ultimate goal for education is to better our students and prepare them for the 31st century, no longer the 21st, but the 31st century. But we all see things in a different light and a different way. But if we can just bring all our perspectives together in, in one vision for the success of our students, and that would be great. But thank you for the work that you're doing. I appreciate you all. And to all our audience members that are watching live, thank you so much for joining us. Those of you that are catching us on the replay or the re-listen, as always, thank you so much for all of your support. Please make sure that you visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out all our previous guests, all our previous episodes. Um, you know, you can watch them on YouTube. You can go ahead and listen on your favorite podcast player. Also, please, guys, don't forget to visit our merch store we've got a merge merch here that you can go ahead and buy so we've got our new my Tech life merch we've got caps sweaters hats and all that good stuff and all all of that guys just goes to continue to support our vision for connecting educators education professionals creators one show at a time to continue doing what we are doing and we just definitely thank you all for your support and as always my friends until next time don't forget, stay techie.